0: Welcome to episode two of season two of The Heart Podcast. I'm Milagros Castillo Montoya, co-host and co-producer of the podcast and associate professor in the Department of Educational Leadership at the University of Connecticut. I'm here with Omar, who is co-host and co-producer of the podcast.
1: Gracias Milagros and welcome back everyone. My name is Omar Romandia and I'm so excited for this episode in which we bring very talented souls whose work focuses on visual arts and design. We'll hear more about what guides their work and how they go about preparing the next generation of artists and researchers.
0: On today's episode, we have the honor of having as guest Dr. Oscar Guerra, who is an assistant professor of digital film and video production at the University of Connecticut in Stanford. Oscar is an Emmy award-winning director and producer at PBS Frontline. Through his work, Oscar focuses on the act of storytelling that promotes critical thinking and social investment. He aims to produce media that provides a way for underrepresented groups to share counter stories in addition to strengthening their voices and identities.
1: Alongside OSCAD, we also have Dr. Lauren Cross. Lauren is an assistant professor of visual arts and design at the University of North Texas. Her research addresses interdisciplinary topics such as critical theory, social practice, multiculturalism, and women's and gender studies. Lauren's teaching champions active learning, service learning, and social networks with an emphasis on student-led symposiums. We're very excited to have you both, Oscar and Lauren. We would like to begin by acknowledging that the land on which we gather is the territory of the Mohegan, Mashantucket Pequot, Eastern Pequot, Skattacoak, Golden Hill Paw Gusset, Nipmuc, and Lenape peoples, who have stewarded this land throughout the generations.
0: Thank you, Oscar and Lauren for being here with us today. This is episode two of season two, and today we'll be focusing on anti-racist teaching through visual arts and design. And I'm really excited about it. I know Omar is too. First of all, how you enter and do your work in visual arts and design. So if you could share with with us a little bit about what do you do in the visual arts and design world? Tell us a little bit about it, and then how you see anti-racist teaching embedded within the work that you do as an artist. Oscar, will you be willing to start us in this conversation?
2: That will be my pleasure. Uh, thank you, Milagro, so much. Uh, thank you, Omar. Thank you all uh, for for the opportunity to be here. Uh, it, it's a real pleasure. So my name is Oscar Guerra, and I'm a film and video professor at UConn. I'm actually uh, uh, in Stamford, uh, Connecticut, which is a, the perfect location because we're so close to Manhattan. There's so much uh, stuff going on in there. I've been teaching at UConn uh, for two years, and I'm also a producer at PBS for online, and I've been producing with them for the past year. Uh, so to go back to your quest- question, I'm a filmmaker. Uh, I do uh, most of my research. I've done traditional research. You know, I think that I—that's how I started when I got my PhD back in the day in, at UNC Chapel Hill. You know, I was doing a lot of writing. I was doing a lot of ethnography. Uh, I, I, I come from a, a Critical theory background—that's uh, kind of like my thing. Uh, but I realized that it was—I was really not connecting with with my community. I was not connecting with the audience that I was trying to reach out or to help out or to reframe or to represent. Who was reading? Really? I mean, uh, I think that literature reviews are important. I think that uh, uh, you know, doing the research that justifies what you're trying to do. It's the right thing to do, and I was fortunate enough to find a a place uh, like Yukon where they celebrated, embraced, and have been so much so encouraging of my creative work. So this creative work, it has, uh, uh, and I hate to say it like this sometimes because I say it has the same rigor. I'm like, well, it's the same or 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 even more, you know, like to be able to do uh, 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 visual arts and media arts. I mean, nowadays, everything is an audiovisual uh, 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 format, you know, sir, so how do you approach that? How are you able to condense so much information into, you know, a 15 minute uh, documentary, a 34 minute documentary, a 3 minute, minute documentary? Are you able to do that with the same rigor, with the same uh, uh, ethical considerations, but also how do you share? Because I think that this, this is an act of sharing of what we're trying to do. Uh, so when you ask me about, like, how do I incorporate it into my teaching, is, is that kind of like the, the, the main question, Douglas? Uh,
0: well, I guess I'm curious. I do want to know how you incorporate it in your teaching. But at the moment, going with the work you're doing as a film producer, how do you incorporate it in your work as a film producer? How, is, how, is your fil- yes. how are your films empty racist in nature, if they are, or how you're working towards that?
2: They are. And the thing is that I don't know if I would uh label myself as an anti-racist uh uh, filmmaker but i guess that i am in a way just that sometimes you don't label yourself that way you know and then you're like well actually yes that's precisely what i'm doing it seems like we're reinventing the words and we reconfiguring what we do Uh, All of the documentary while i do some commercial stuff my passion is about documentary for social change and i've been trying to reframe the immigrant experience that became a passion of mine. So, when you start reframing the immigrant experience, I'm not talking about like any immigrant experience. I'm talking specifically about the Latino immigrant experience and for the most part, the Latino immigrant experience, it's. Pretty much the low class working class Latino. Uh, immigrant that comes to the States and the thing is that. What you uh, would you see on the media the way it it, it it's pictured, I start saying, you know what? That's not accurate. That is just not accurate. The, the, the way it is, it's much more complex than that. Well, there are some good uh uh, uh media outlets that sometimes try, try to accurately picture some of the stuff that's going on. It's it's deeper than that. So that's why I decided to to it would be, it became almost like my moral responsibility uh to be able to document the the, the the, the life and struggle of my people, my Latino people, and the immigrants' communities in general. Because I think that we all immigrated here at some point. So, you know, it's like, how do you even reframe what it mean to be an immigrant? What is the American dream? You know, I think that that has a lot to do uh, with all the, the, the keywords that, that we're talking about. I think that nowadays it became so trendy or public to say, oh, include anti racist teaching and anti racist research. We've been doing that for a while, just with a different name. You know, and, and and the thing is that that's why it's kind of hard for me to use certain keywords. What I'm trying to do is use my story. I think that you, as a researcher, you as a filmmaker, you become an instrument of your own research, right? How do you approach participants? How do you talk to them? How do you relate to them? See, si de repente les empieza hablar en español versus saying everything in English. If they hear that I have an accent, are you able to connect? then you might say, who am I to represent them? You know, you're no one to represent anyone. Not even my, my older people, because even there, are you talking about Puerto Ricanos? Are we talking about Mexicanos? Are you, you know, like how difficult it is. So it's it's a very complex process that it starts taking time. You know, uh, Omar was telling us that he is in his doctoral program. I remember when I started my doctoral program 10 years ago, I had an idea of what I wanted to do. But it starts evolving, it starts just changing uh, so much and you just have to be very open to, to see what it's out there. So how do I incorporate it? It's just understanding that you have a, 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 a topic, a theme, with, in this case is uh, the working class Latino uh, uh, experience here in the States and how we understand the American dream. And by doing that, well, one part of it is going to lead you to the next thing. And yes, well, I don't, I never thought that I'm an anti-racist, uh, uh, you know, per se. I guess that that's that's what I've been doing with my with my previous projects. I can tell you more about them in, uh, in, in a little bit, but just overall.
0: Yeah, no, thank you, Oscarin. You know, I appreciate some of the things you raise, which is that it sounds like the some of the content um, of the work is specifically. Um, aiming for social change, but to also offer an in another perspective, offer shed some light on um, myths and misunderstandings of a community that's already marginalized. Um, in in a variety of ways, whether it's social class, race, etc., and absolutely, we don't have to get stuck on what do we call this. The most important thing is, and why you're on this podcast is that your work is doing it, whatever people want to call it. I mean, I'm sure in ten years we're going to call it something else, but but that doesn't change the nature and the spirit of what you're trying to do, which is, you know do films towards social change. And so I really appreciate that. It's both the content, but also some of the things you mentioned sounded like it's your process, right? Like what language you're using, how you're making it accessible to other people, who is incorporated and how they're incorporated. So it sounds like it's both what the topic and also the how, how you're incorporating and and making it accessible to others. I appreciate those insights already. Lauren, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about um how you approach um the arts and how you might see anti-racist themes or tenets or aims within that work
3: yeah i think for me um similar to oscar you know you know i don't necessarily walk around saying i make anti-racist art (laughs) um i'm an artist you know so um, I, I just feel that, you know, in whatever I'm doing in art, whether it's making, you know, actual works of art or curating exhibitions that feature artists um, or writing scholarship, there's just a certain kind of cultural ethics, I think, that I bring to the table. And that is, you know, just an awareness of what the world is like for a person like myself you know and trying to bring that experience and the things that I've learned um, to the table you know in you know whether it's you know the experience of being in graduate school in art and knowing how um, or even undergrad (laughs) in art and understanding how very racist things will come to the surface constantly um, and just kind of recognize that like oh this is not really like this is not good, you know, um, and then, you know, there's also just this sense of like being isolated, you know, isolated as a person of color within the arts, you know, from undergrad all the way up to graduate school, like being the only black woman in a class and, and asking yourself, well, why is that, you know, and not just saying, oh, it's just because I'm the only one know like what's really going on like why are there not any other black people here for real and so um and in asking other peers because in undergrad like it was probably like five black people in the entire school of art you know at my first school and we would like just be like we see each other and be like oh my god like holding on to each other for dear life <laughs> and like we would ask ourselves like, why is it only five of us in the whole school? And, you know, so I think that really stuck with me as I continue to like pursue art and practice art and research about art is like, like what's really happening here, you know, that it can be so very isolated in that way. And what's happening in our communities where our communities may not necessarily be um, you know, sur- surely there's a su- support of the arts in our communities, but it's a different kind of support. It's not like you know, when you're growing up, people are like, "Ooh, baby girl, you are creative. Go on and be an artist." Like, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, why you gonna do that now? So, so that you understand, like, in the community, like, there is a perception of what art is too, and it's not all that positive. And so I think for me, it became this dance of like, okay, there's my own experience in the art that I'm trying to correct for, you know, students coming behind me um, and then just for other artists coming behind me. But there's also something that I'm trying to correct within the community and and better, like have a better relationship with the arts within the community. And it's not so much about like teaching my community about what art is. I don't think that that, is the way either it's more of like hey what do you think art is you know um and i love just asking random people like what's art to you you know because i feel like that's where we learn how to like where the racist intersections are and where the class intersections are you know because we understand that people see art differently based on where they're socially and culturally located and so just kind of like Kind of soaking that in and understanding that from different perspectives um and kind of like oscar you know i've had different types of teaching experiences i've taught in west texas you know which is like has its own you know environment <laughs> and I, you know i've taught um in boston which is you know very liberal i've taught you know, obviously now I teach at UNT, I've taught at Texas Women's University, which definitely has a very gender oriented history. So all those different things have taught me, some, taught me something about art, you know, because students actually teach you a lot about art. You know, there's, there's the things that you do as an artist, but like, I feel like every like artist that teaches has always said to me, that like, I learned so much from my students and that's kind of over the years, <laughs> I can say that I've learned a lot from my students and listening to their perspectives. And so in some ways, the artist that I am today is, you know, pulling all, all that data together and mm-hmm. saying, oh, okay, like I understand life a little bit. <laughs> now just from understanding all the different people that existed it, you know. So I try to have You know, at UNT, we really talk about cultural humility. So I really try to approach my artwork from that place of cultural humility, as well as when I curate, I also want to, you know, grow. And that's, I think that's really what that word is all about, is not feeling like you've arrived in any type of way. And certainly people, you know, they're like, well, you have a PhD in multicultural women's and gender studies. Like, you have to know everything It's like. Yeah, but there's like, as we said before, like terms are are constantly evolving and changing. You know, one day we can say critical race theory and another day people are like, you know, so you're just kind of, you're constantly like learning how to better communicate yourself, you know, in that, in that way. So that's kind of a little bit of how I integrate it. It's just like being willing to constantly evolve and grow and kind of make your game stronger, if that makes sense. Yeah, and
0: I appreciate it because you're also saying, you know, you're bringing a lot of threads together, right? Like your own lived experiences within your own community, your own upbringing about what perceptions of art are, right? And they're they're beautiful. There are some really beautiful perceptions about art within our own communities, yes. but they're also culturally informed, right? And then they're structurally limited because of a lack of access to other opportunities as well. So there's both assets and, and a beautiful amount of artistic wealth within our communities, but they're also constrained by by the systems that allow that do not allow art to be more open um, to to all communities. And then I I hear you, you know, your profession, where you've lived, the context of your work has also shaped you. So I appreciate how all those threads come together to make you the artist that you are and the approach that you've taken. You talked a lot about your students and my head was nodding because I, now you're taking me into the place where I'm most passionate about, which is the magic that happens inside the classroom. And so I wonder if maybe um, we could turn to that point about I asked you how anti racism maybe is embedded in your work as artists, but I'm wondering, how does it show up in your classroom? Like, What does it mean to you to engage in and whatever we may call it? But with the tenants and the spirit of, you know, working um, to advance social change and specifically to work against, you know, racist uh, practices within the field of arts. Right. And at the same time work toward liberation within the field of arts. How does that show up within your teaching? Um, maybe Oscar, if you could take us uh there for a few minutes and then we'll get back to you, uh Lauren.
2: Of course, uh thank you, Milagros. Um well, I think that um what Lauren said right now was very important. Sometimes you just ask, you know, someone, what's art? You know what's art? I think that the question that I ask my students. Is similar i ask them what's your story you know what's your story it's 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 such an open-ended uh, 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 question but there's no right or wrong and you know who's the expert only you I think that that's how a lot of artists start you know like you start exploring like I was mentioning earlier you are your own instrument you know like your yourself your embodiment who you are your experience and the font of knowledge that you're contributing to the table so I think that when you go to a classroom, you have to enable that potential rather than telling them what's right or what's wrong. Like especially in field, you know? And I think that that's, that's where the, the real anti-racist uh, uh, resistance starts. Or I think that that's where the, when you start training, this a sense of agency with your students and this sense of self-esteem, they're like, hey, you know what? That's actually good. Like, if I tell my story, maybe there's something good about that. Maybe there's something that I, I can start building upon. Uh, it doesn't mean that you, as an artist, you just have to tell your story. But I think that that's always a good starting point when 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 you have students that are young that are trying to that are excited and you're not sure what they're going to be doing. I mean, I'm 38 and I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. So I think that uh, some of the most interesting people even you know, the one that's you have to, you have to keep push yourself in different directions. And I try to do the same with my students and have very open-ended questions. But what, like what Lauren just said, I think that's the best thing because that's an entry. That's a lead way to what do you want to do with it? I think that it's important in my case as a filmmaker. Of course, I'm going to show you how to use the canvas. I'm going to show you how to use the lens. I'm going to tell you what's a meeting shot. I'm going to tell you about the narrative arc and how we can struggle with story. That's, I, I get paid to do that, right? That's like my job as a professor. My passion is, how can I make sure that we use all of that theory that I just show you, and we craft your own narrative. And you know, you're you not just telling your story, you're retelling and reframing your story. So that's when I think that whenever we're able to connect this with our students, it's a personal growth. I completely Lauren. you know, there are so many things that you learn from your students. So it's a, it's a two way street. You know, I think that you're there as a person with experience, not with the, the, some knowledge about certain things, you know, especially technical stuff. Yes, I know most likely, I'm gonna know, I should know more than all the students regarding the technical part. I should, that's that part of my job. But as far as like sharing that knowledge and, and sharing the, the power dynamic that happens in the classroom, I think that that's very, very important because that's gonna be, it's almost like a, a lab environment we're going to be able to test that out before they go out there and they're going to know how to approach that one of the things that i told them sure tell your stories learn the theory but the most important thing that you're going to learn out of my classes is the attitude the attitude that you have is what's going to make you or break you later on you know it's easy for someone to hire you once you get rehired that's when you know that you're doing something right but anyways i think that it's important that you that you embrace that part in the classroom and you use any type of theory, any type of subject that you're working on, that's the excuse for you to share the dynamic and 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 embrace the knowledge and the concept of knowledge that your students are, are, are bringing. And then you can start having conversations and then you say, you're gonna test it here, but then you're gonna be out there competing and you and, and if you cannot handle my criticism and my feedback, going to be hard out there. I think that feedback and Lauren, maybe you're gonna agree with me on this one, learning, I think that learning how to receive feedback with students is crucial and learning how to receive feedback with anti-racist components and with the critical race theory components, it's hard because that's your story. You know, when you have a math problem, okay, that equation is wrong. Sure. It's an equation. When they tell you that's wrong and you're like, Jesus, that's my story. That's my people. That's my own life. How do you, how do we do that? It's a, you know, it's, it, it's, it's how to incorporate that. Uh, I think that those are important elements uh, that can lead into an interesting class and you, you're going to have a room full of experts. And that's what I'm expecting when I'm teaching at class.
3: For me, um, so like. I had, a, I have an interesting teaching trajectory. I started out teaching art. And then in getting my PhD in multicultural women's and gender studies, I started teaching gender studies courses, like straight up gender studies, um, and then then went back to teaching art. So I feel like in a lot of ways how I teach art now, you know, the how I ta- taught in the beginning was certainly informed by I had interest in, you know, the intersections of ethnic studies and gender studies and how I taught art, but it was I still was very much like informed by like traditional classical art training. Um, and so like a lot of it was that, you know, and then when I started teaching women in, in gender studies and um, the program in which I got my PhD in focuses a lot on like women of color theory. So coming back to teaching art after that meant that there was a lot more of nuance and how i teach art now because i understand how important it is well i I feel like i understand better how to do that you know how to add more nuance um so i I think that i just want to make that like clear as as far as like doing anti-racist teaching in my art classes that has completely evolved over time as i started to teach more more like Critical theory courses that were all about, you know, like what is this theory of race and what is this theory of gender and helping people to understand from a practical level and really having some competency in that, uh, which there isn't really a whole lot of that in art, like just typical art classes may not even cover any of that. I was lucky in my MFA program that we did have an art historian who focused on feminist theory, focused on black feminism. So that kind of, that's what kind of did it for me. It was like, oh, like, so I can do this different. (laughs) And so, so that I kind of took that and that's how I ended up, you know, going in a different vein myself was understanding that I could take a different spin on it and like owning that and being okay with that you know so um i have other colleagues that teach differently you know and i'm okay with that like just being okay with like how i approach teaching um through that kind of lens of like trying to help students to be better humans while they're also learning how to make art like that is that's what i really care about you know because i understand how challenging it is to like just go out in the world and just try to act like none of that matters or that it exists and then you're like trying to make art and then people like are looking at your art and then looking at you right so it's not that it's not like that doesn't happen like i've i've been in art shows and had work that like doesn't necessarily look like me or didn't necessarily have the cultural aesthetics of what people would think about when they look at me and they were just like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't understand. Like, how did you make that? That's like, like they were assuming that somebody else made that. And so I was just kind of like, okay, this is getting kind of interesting, right? So this is a good case study. <laughs> um, and then understanding that there's a whole history of art of people of color, Informed by or even influenced or in some ways like were some of the head starters of some of the movements that we consider important today, like abstract expressionism, but they didn't get the credit for that. You know, so understanding that, like what I was doing was like, oh, yep, that happened to her too, you know, so like it just, you know, those experiences challenged me to help my students in that way to say, okay, this is the real deal. Okay, y'all, we're, you're about to go into a field that is hella racist. Okay, and so let, let me not sugarcoat. And the other the reason why I started to really be honest about that is that my students were like, you know, asking me, like, so what is it like being a black woman in art? And I was like, should I tell them? Or should I just like totally BS this and and be like, it's going to be great. You're going to be fine. And, and, but then I realized that students were having bad experiences. And so it was like, okay, how can I, how can I just be honest about what it really is like, but also be encouraging at the same time? And. You know, I I had this moment of epiphany when um, my students, like, begged me. They were like, please tell me. Like, we were doing, I was doing a symposium with them about branding in the arts. And they were like, we want you to be on a panel. And they kind of tricked me into it. They're like, we want you to be on it. And then, of course, the, the question they asked was, how do you handle being a Black woman, you know, in the arts? And I was like, oh, shoot. I can't, like, you know, when you're in these environment, I'm not going to lie, right? And um, and I just was like, you know, the main thing for me was coming to really appreciate who I am as a Black woman, and that I don't have to hide that. I don't have to hide my community in order to be a part of this. And frankly, like, I don't want to. Um, And I just kind of gave the example of, like, you know, my grandmother is no longer living. And I've had lots of great opportunities and how like how much I would have loved now, you know, looking back to be able to walk my grandmother into the museum and let her, you know, see, you know, her her little baby girl that she was like, you know, had so much like she just knew I could do whatever I wanted to do, even though I didn't. I was like, what? What do you mean I could do whatever I want to do? But just to kind of for her to see that, you know and knowing what her experience is like as a black woman, never being able to go to, to school and do what she wanted to do. And so from my students, I, I gave them that example to say that like, you don't have to lose who you are to be a part of this. Because oftentimes we we feel, we often sometimes feel that we have to like drop our whole cultural identity to be an artist or to be a part of creative fields. We have to kind of totally whitewash ourselves and I was like, you don't have to do that. And in fact, don't do that. Bring your your, your mother, your brother, your sister, your grandma, every, bring them all, like, bring everybody into it. And if, and if anything, like, you go out into your community, you do what the heck you want to do. Because that to me is the greatest transformational power of art, you know? And all the kind of gatekeeping that exists, like, that's just going to be there. But I feel like how we change it is if we change our perspective about what we can do about art. And so I think as a teacher, that's the greatest thing I can do for my students is to say, kind of like what Oscar was saying, who are you and how do you bring who you are into art, into design? And yes, there are gonna be teachers who are gonna be like, We don't want you to do this work about your Mexican culture. We don't want you to do this work about your Black culture. I was told by a professor, don't photograph Black people. And so, but guess what? I'm still photographing Black people, okay? That had to happen, though. Like, I had to have, like, this, like, come to Jesus moment of saying, like, what the? Like, there's no way. You see this skin? There ain't no way. I'm not going to, like photograph black people but i had to like and it was it was embarrassing you know for someone to to tell me that and like like i know they weren't saying that to anybody else um but to like to fight back and say no and i'm gonna be blackity black 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 about it now (laughs) if that makes sense and just encouraging my students to do the same i know that was a (laughs) lot
1: no no thank you thank you for that that was so that was so so powerful um and i appreciate the vulnerability that the both of you and the honesty that the both of you are sharing you know because i think you know it's it's so and and i think about this sometimes when i'm out into just roaming in society you know like everybody has a story and we just we pass by we say superficial hellos you know but like what's really hiding beneath our skin, you know, and just our our sense of being, you know. There's just so much there, and um, I I want to allude to something that the both of you mentioned uh, a couple key words, and that's evolution, you know, how how you have both evolved as as scholars, as activists, as in your fields, and I can like your passion is palpable, you know, not only for your field but also for the intentionality that you have behind what you want to convey to your students. And I really, really appreciate being a first generation college student, um, especially like coming from Mexico, how you expose your students to the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, you really give them a multi dimensional view of like, okay, this is like playtime here in school, really. And like, there's a whole world out there that they're not even exposed. And unfortunately, that's information. Hits them like a freight train if they're not exposed to it at times, I, I speak this from experience um, and so I'm just curious to know, like the both of you shared such beautiful examples of, of what you bring into the classroom. And I'm just curious to know how do the students respond to your approaches? What, what has been perhaps an example or two of how they respond to your approach to teaching visual arts and design? And I'm, I'm curious. Uh, Oscar, do you mind kicking us off with this question? sí. So,
2: this so is the thing, guys. I, I can I can start telling you, oh, they all respond great and they love it and they're doing this. That's not the reality. You know, there are some students that are in a different stages in their lives. You know, there's people with different levels of maturity. There's people that are, my, that hopefully are going to be able to connect with the things that I'm trying to tell them in 10 years. And they might say, hmm, wasn't that something like what Dr. Gerrit told me back in the day? So I think that, you know, it will be, I would not be lying if I were to tell you that, yes, they respond great and they're doing it. I think that I had a, I had an epiphany a year ago, you know, because I've been teaching for, I I was teaching when I, I, before I got my my PhD, uh, I was teaching in Mexico. So I've been teaching for 15 years. And I talked to a a great mentor of mine, a professor at San Francisco that was well respected by every single person, every single student loved him. And I ask, him, you know what? Sometimes I feel very disencouraged because I, I don't think that I'm able to connect with. You know, like my 16 or 20 students or whatever class size I'm trying to do. And I'm like, and, and it, it gets me very frustrated because you know, I think that what I'm telling them. It's what's right. It took me a while to understand. I think that especially. As guys, we mature a little bit. It takes a little bit longer. I think that women mature faster. That's a reality is that you have to understand in, in the classroom. You have to understand the level of hormones going on. You have to understand the, the economic situation that some of my students, you know, which are first generation. Most of them, they work 1 or 2 jobs at the same time and that they're tired. And that it's my responsibility not to do something about that, but least to understand that there's so many things going on. So to respond to your question, it's not an easy thing. I think that I'm still, it's, it's, it's trial and error, but we're in the process of learning it and we're in the process of, of being very reflective about it and getting better at it and having conversations with them one-on-one, doing a lot of advising, doing a lot of mentoring and understanding that it doesn't make you a bad professor or it doesn't make you uh, a great professor if you have everyone engaged. because the reality of life is that everything changes at the moment, you know? Everything changed with COVID. Everything's going to change uh, after COVID. You know, so we just have to be open about that. Having the conversations and just knowing that sometimes you have to plant a seed because you might not see it. You might not see the flower right away. You know, I was very frustrated because I was watering it every day, you know, and putting it to the sun. Different process for different people. And it's okay that sometimes the flower is not going to bloom. And sometimes you're going to say, look, look at this, the size of the Sequoia and you feel fortunate about that. But I think that it's, uh, as professors, we're, we're also maturing and we're getting wiser. Maybe what I'm saying right now, same thing that we're, we're t- talking about is, I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. I might have a different perception. What I've is that if, if you have a, a, I know that this is a radio interview, but you know, if you have like a piece of paper, if it's not flexible enough, I mean, you're just gonna tear it, you know, in a second. So you need to be flexible with that part. And just to go back, and I'm gonna finish with this with what Lauren said about that incident that you shared with us. And thank you for sharing that vulnerable moment. Jesus, it makes you realize how responsible and, and and how powerful we can be as you know the person being the professor in power. Because in your case, Lauren, that made you stronger. But that's not the case for all the students. That some like that can really break you. And 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 you know so. We have a huge responsibility. I think that we are a new generation. There's a new generation of uh, uh, professors of color. It's not just that it's a trendy thing or the nice thing to do. You want to respond to your demographics. You have to respond to your demographics. With, and we need representation because we can only relate when we live through the same stuff. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I think that there's nothing better than what we do: being, being in academia, and being professors, uh, doing what we do. I think that. I wouldn't tend it for the world.
3: I think, in terms of how students respond, <laughs> have y'all um, read about the, um, there's a lot of documented research on the experiences of women of color talking about how students respond to assist faculty. Um, and so, like, to like what Oscar said, like you know, you can do all these things. You can like, you know, and and I teach in a way where like you know, I also like really care about students like being successful in life, you know, beyond their time in in the in our class. Like you know, I'm like I want you to get a job. I want you to go to graduate school. Whatever you want to do, like I'm I want to partner with you, and so you can do all those things, and you may still like have kind of mixed reviews you know and that and like oscar said like you can kind of just sit back and just be like oh like what are you what? like you know i'm like giving you everything here you know um but you know i think kind of in a similar way i just had to come to grips with you know the fact that like everybody is just not at the same place in their life um and like One of the one of the big things that I started to like, talk with my students about is like, everybody has never had a black woman professor before or teacher period. And so like, there's all kinds of things that like, kind of come out in that, um, that I don't think that even the students are aware of. I don't think that they're trying to be biased. I don't think that they're trying to like, look at me with this hypercritical eye they're they're like going with what they've seen you know like in culture in our university like you know like if i'm the only black person in the college i can't do nothing about that right so then i'm constantly like being compared you know it it, it happens like that's what representation is you know we we want more diversity in our representation, but we know that it's not really happening. And so, then what, is, what does that mean? That means that students are still struggling on their end on how to process that, you know, unless they're already kind of aware of that. Um, there are ways that I try to bring that into the classroom um, to talk about, like, so how do you feel about having a Black person? <laughs> you know, just like kind of let, letting that be something that they can process in class instead of just it being like the elephant in the room because it does it you know does come out in evaluations. it does come out in these other platforms and so I'd rather just address it um, rather than just kind of hope that they don't notice like well, of course they notice you know um so you know there have been times where you know you have students who are like, I don't want to talk about race at all. And like this whole class is about race. Well, you are not going to be happy, are you? But all I can do is to, to share that, you know, my goal isn't to attack anybody. Like my position as the instructor isn't to attack. And so I don't take on this whole, we're talking about race though. I'm about to show you and tell you all up and down. It's like, no, this is a conversation. I want us all to learn. And I want to hear from you. And so I kind of take that approach, so that that way people feel more comfortable to share, even if they have you know, a more um, challenging view. Um, I do want everybody to, to grow. And so in order for that to happen, I have to kind of keep it very open. Um, but you know, like Oscar says, you just keep growing from it. You keep learning, keep learning new tricks <laughs> of how to address things. You, you learn new things to add to the curriculum to help strengthen student understanding. Um, I would I would say though, overall, I often get the sense the students do appreciate it and they do respond well. It just how it may manifest in other like documents you know it's kind of like okay did i get it or not you know so you know that that is that's always the case you know you, you hope for the best and then you just kind of wait so
0: well, you know what's interesting about what you're both saying. Well, there's a lot that's interesting. So, first of all, thank you so much for everything you've shared. I feel like this should have been 2 hours had. I know you were going to bring this much passion. <laughs> so this is a conversation I feel so fortunate to be a part of. I know Omar feels the same. Uh, I'm, I'm my heart is filled. I'm inspired by the work that you both do in and outside of the classroom, Um, but I wanted to to just mention something about what you both just said, which is. Transformation is key, right? In what's happening in the classroom, both for yourself as a professor, but also for what you hope for the students. And the thing about transformation is that it is a process. And so sometimes for some students, it'll happen fast and you'll get to see like Oscar was saying, the flower bloom right before your eyes. But, but nature doesn't always work that way too, right? So tra- transformation could be like what Lauren, what you were saying, the students sense something good is happening, but you're not gonna get to see that flower bloom into a few more years. And in the midst of transformation, there's a reckoning happening. And sometimes that's what could be surfacing, even though they know something good is happening too. It's just it's just a lot. So that's a big complex. And I appreciate what you both say, um, said and shared um, with us today. Um, so yeah, so with that said, I, I'll pass it over to Omar to close us out.
1: So the, the last question for us today is what advice would you give others who want to engage in this type of work in anti-racist teaching? Uh, Oscar, do you mind kicking us off?
2: Not at all. I think that, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to just think about one piece of advice because I think there's a lot that I could share uh, and maybe there's a lot that I don't even know. So I want to be mindful about that too. I think that uh, uh, sharing your passion is key. I think that as a professor, we become uh, inspiration for our students. Maybe we, not, we don't inspire every single one of them, but at least we challenge them, uh, we push them. And again, we have to be very open to embrace their stories because it's our story as well. I think that the best thing uh, uh, you can hope for, and that's one of the things that I always tell my students Sure, you're gonna learn some of the technical stuff, but you can you can go to YouTube and you'll learn them anyways. It's your attitude. Have an open and receptive attitude, and that's key. Every time I talk to an industry leader or or, or a CEO from a company, and I ask them, "What's gonna give my students an, an advantage when you're hiring someone?" and they tell me two things. One, I want to see their portfolio, so I, that's my job. You, you need to work on your portfolio. You need to make sure that you're bringing something unique. Embrace your story. Embrace your story. Like we're we're not a, it's a different time. Uh, Your story is so unique and your story is gonna be, uh, you're gonna be the expert of your story. And the second thing that they ask for is your attitude. Have the right attitude. You know, sometimes attitude, it takes a while to build the right attitude to be able to be uh, critical, to be respectful about what you're doing. You need to know when to act. You need to know when to react. You need to know when to just hold on time in there You just. Prepare your skills for when the moment is ready. And, and just know, I think that the, the one of the words that we've been repeating, it's. Wait for the process. Everything is a process and and, and, and the same for students and, and professors. We're all the same. We're all people. Uh, we're all human beings dealing with the same issues. We just have different hats. That we put on different faces, depending on what we're doing. So. Trust the process.
3: Let me say I encourage um, as students and I practices myself to be okay with not always being comfortable, you know, and that often it's when you are uncomfortable is that you actually learn something about yourself, about you learn something about what really bothers you, and then that hey, I, I really don't like that you know, this is really bothering me. So like paying attention to your discomfort and not just like running away from in- everything that's uncomfortable, but like kind of just honing into it. And that oftentimes creates an opportunity for you to speak up, for you to share your story, for you to kind of give the full story, um, the other half of the story that people may not may not know and it's also about knowing yourself too that discomfort also reveals something about who you are that ultimately may be a big part of um what you're called to do you know we always talk about like leaning into your fear um and not allowing those kinds of discomforts to like hold you back, but to kind of like, okay, why am I, why am I afraid of this? Why am I uncomfortable about, about this? I'm gonna lean into this. I'm gonna try to figure this out and, and get the answers. Um, that's to me, I feel like when you're doing anti-racist teaching it's like such a huge part is to really encourage people to lean into something that is very, very uncomfortable. Like talking about racism is not comfortable It's not comfortable for me, like, I would love to talk about flowers and beautiful things, (laughs) you know what I mean? But like, that's not the world that we live in. And so I have to lean, I have to lean into what is uncomfortable for me in order to teach it. So I have to teach my students to do the same.
1: Thank you so, so much Oscar and Lauren for this conversation. We really, really appreciate the wisdom and the vulnerability uh, that you both shared with us today in exposing the realities of what it means to engage in anti-racist teaching through visual arts and design. Um, it's been really enlightening to hear how you're both passionate about your work. And I'd go as far as to say you take a moral responsibility to prepare the next generation of scholars and activists uh, by embracing the beauty of their uniqueness. I have really come to love that. Uh, So thank you both for your work, for your craft, and the contribution that you're making to the students that you engage with every day and just the broader, the broader world, really. Uh, So we appreciate you both. Muchas gracias.
0: As always, we're thankful for the support from the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at the University
2: of Connecticut, because it takes a village and it takes heart.